0: section 4 of meller of the silver hand and other stories of the bright ages this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org meller of the silver hand and other stories of the bright ages by david beerne chapter 4 the king of alms into the very heart of this prison on the banks of the seine the april sunshine had forced its way even in Paris, Paris of the fourteenth century, the influence of spring was making itself felt, yet brighter than the April sunlight, more joyous than the air of spring, was the gladsomeness that filled the hearts of many of the poor prisoners as they realized the near approach of Easter. To some, indeed, the glorious feast brought hope of liberty, as well as of spiritual consolation. It was certain that the King of Alms, as he was called, would pay his customary visit, and that in honour of the great festival— Two of their number would be unconditionally released, though some knew but too well that for them there was no hope of pardon, except from the good God. Yet in the ages of faith, even to the hopeless, Holy Church brought her consolations, and hard as was the condition of the hundred and thirty prisoners, there was not one who might not, if he would, be the happier for the coming of Easter. It was the morning of Holy Saturday, and in the chapel of the prison the church's offices were over. A number of franciscan friars were already hearing the confessions of the prisoners walking slowly through the great vaulted wards where young and old alike were confined several of the good fathers were engaged in comforting the sorrowful and gently rebuking the obstinate and in preparing the ignorant for their easter reception of the sacraments ah oh, my father a poor man was saying to pere antoine do plead with the king of alms for me my case is such a sad one i have a wife and my seven children are all young, and I know that they are starving, and I am not guilty of crime. It is only for not paying the king's taxes that I am here. The good friar smiled sadly as he said, My poor fellow, I pity you from my heart. But what can I do? So many of you, and only two to be released. And you know the king of alms nearly always chooses the youngest and the oldest. But not always, my father. God help you and bless you. "'said the friar, turning away to hide his tears. "'Be sure I will do for you whatever is possible.' "'Very slow was the good priest's passage through the ward. "'Men held and kissed his habit as he moved. "'Half a dozen would speak to him at once, "'all bent upon seeing his influence, "'all hoping against hope that they would be the favoured ones "'of the coming King of Alms. "'Now and again he would pause and make a signal for silence. "'Then he would speak to the crowd in a few tender words, begging them not to forget that on the morrow one greater than the king of alms surpassingly greater even than the king against whose peace they had offended was coming to them in a sacrament of love his heart ached as he passed on noticing that always on the fringe of the crowd were a number of young boys all eager to attract his attention all anxious to win his favour and his influence with the king of alms my children he called to them at length i will speak to you separately "'Go and await me at the upper end of the ward, for it is quieter.' With a great shout of joy they rushed away in a body, some thirty or forty lads, most of them in their very early teens, few of them without a fetter or shackle of some sort. If the men had spoken eloquently, the boys were not less disposed to plead their own cause, and when Father Antoine approached them, their vociferousness almost stunned him. His raised hand silenced them. Very gently and touchingly he spoke. "'telling them how grieved he was that he could not release them all. "'It is so perfectly natural, my poor children,' he went on, "'that you should long to be free, and for this I do not blame you in the least. "'Yet, my dear ones, for some of you it is almost better that you should remain here for a time. "'Some of you have no homes, and if I could obtain your release "'you would not be willing to go to an orphanage or to a hospital.' "'One half of them were in rags, and showed every possible sign of poverty and neglect.' Of the rest, some were young apprentice lads, well clad and healthy looking, imprisoned for unruliness and various forms of misconduct. A few were sons of citizens, undergoing punishment for different breaches of the law, small thefts, wilful damage, stone throwing, and riotous conduct in the streets at carnival time. One or two appeared to be of better quality still, and judging by their dress, might have been the sons of gentlemen of rank, or pages in the service of some rich noble. Not one of them could have reached the age of fifteen, several of them were under twelve. As the father looked over the big group of young faces, some sleek and rosy, some pale and sunken, nearly all eager and anxious, his eye fell upon a well-grown but young-looking lad in the background, who seemed to be taking little or no interest in what was going on. While the rest pushed and jostled one another and tried to get to the front, this boy remained quite still, his eyes cast down and his hands folded in front of him. He was clad in a rich suit of dark red velvet laced with gold, and his long black hair framed a face that was distinguished as much for its regular features as for the pallor of its complexion. A sudden lurch on the part of the crowd left this boy standing alone, and the father then saw that not only was the richly clad lad wearing fetters on both legs, but that he alone of all the youngsters had manacles on his wrists. But time was pressing, and the friar could not linger. "'My children, how many of you have been to confession?' He inquired, as he turned to leave the ward. There was a quick response from every member of the crowd, except one. All had been to confession or were then going, saving the boy with irons on his hands. At any rate, he made no sign, passing out of the great vaulted room into the corridor that led to the chapel. The priest met the head jailer, that dark-haired boy in red began the friar as the man knelt for his blessing. The one who looks like a page and who is more strongly fettered than the others what has he done the jailer smiled as he said well holy father i don't think he's done much more than any other lad would have done in the same circumstances he is one of the pages of the count de la who was in attendance upon his son the young count who if i may whisper it is the spoiled pet of a silly mother the young lord threw a silver dish at this boy who immediately threw it back again the petted lad was not hurt the lady mother screamed and had this unfortunate page arrested. Unhappily for him, the Count is away at the wars. The lad had no one to speak for him, and the judge, who is related to my lady, sentenced him to a year's imprisonment. Has he been violent since he was brought here? Not at all, father, until yesterday. Under great provocation, no doubt, he knocked the lad down and was brought to me for a whipping, for which, however, I substituted a day in hand-irons. "'It is unfortunate for him, poor lad, since Monsignor the Governor was going to recommend him to the King of Alms as one of the two to be released on Monday. "'And you think he has forfeited his chance? "'My father, I am not sure of that. "'It is very probable. "'Does the boy know that he was one of the two favoured ones? "'No, no, my father, that is our secret. "'Beside the Governor, only your reverence and I know of it.' "'Your secret is safe with me,' said the Friar.' What troubles me is that he has not been, and does not seem likely, to go to the sacraments. Ah, poor child, he is dejected, perhaps. You have not spoken with him privately, father? But how could you in the midst of such a crowd? Can your reverence spare five minutes? I ought now to be in the confessional, but certainly I will speak to him if you can bring him here. Side by side, up and down the long cloister-like corridor, walked the friar and the boy, whose handcuffs had been taken off, though his leg-irons made sad music as he moved. "'But, my child,' the priest was saying, "'it is better to be freed from the prison of the soul "'than from that which confines the body.' "'My father, for me it is of no use. "'It seems only to make me worse,' said the boy. "'When I made my first communion last Noel, "'I thought, now I shall be really good. "'Yet before the Epiphany I was in prison. "'This week I had been thinking about my confession, "'yet only yesterday, and Good Friday, too,' I got into a big rage and struck a boy. You see, father, for me at least, it is no good. What are the sacraments for, my son? To bring one the grace of God. And what is it that at this moment your soul needs most? The boy was silent. Your greatest need, my child, is the very help that you seem afraid to seek. Perhaps you have heard some holy person once said that one communion is enough to make a saint. You made your communion— and afterwards you discovered that you were not a saint. How old are you? On the feast of St. Peter and St. Paul I shall be thirteen. Ah, oh, well, my poor child, older people than you have made similar mistakes, but now I want you to see what a big mistake it is. It is like refusing food because you are hungry, or taking off your doublet because you are cold. Nay, if you think of it, it is much more foolish than either of these things would be it is turning your back upon your best friend, it is running away from the tender and merciful God who loves you. For whom do you think our blessed Lord instituted confession and communion, for saints or for sinners?' The lad looked up, but hesitated in his reply. "'To whom did he first give holy communion?' asked the friar. "'The apostles, my father.' "'Yes, and at that time were they saints, do you think?' And what did they do on the very day after their first communion, the first Good Friday? They ran away from him. And is that what the saints do? Oh, no, my father. Is it what you are going to do, my child? A little sob was the only reply. Remember, my son, that our one hope of salvation lies through a good use of the sacraments. If we refuse them, we are lost. Whatever the mercy of God may do for those who cannot approach them, for those who have never heard of them he will do nothing for us if we neglect the means of grace that he himself has provided for us whatever may happen to you however frequently you may fall nay even if which god forbid you fell into grievous sin on the very day of communion go back to confession go again to communion this is how weak men overcome the snares of the wicked one this is how sinners become saints Sometimes it is only after many humble confessions and devout communions that the hasty and passionate become patient and gentle. In order to overcome yourself, my child, you have only to persevere, in spite of failure. For the remainder of that holy Saturday, and during the glorious day that followed it, the prison scarcely seemed to be a place of punishment. Mindful of that much-needed corporal work of mercy, many of the faithful had visited the imprisoned, bestowing abundant alms and money, and in food and in clothes. Every prisoner, not a notorious criminal, was relieved of his irons. Fresh straw for bedding was supplied to all. Spring flowers made their way into the gloomy vaults. Lutes were tuned, and a small band of imprisoned minstrels were permitted to go from ward to ward singing paschal canticles. The bells of the parish churches pealed out gloriously, adding their festive message to the general jubilation. Father Antoine wept for joy as he assisted at the general communion. Only one or two poor obstinate wretches had refused the sacraments, but it is certain that Pierre de Goscin, the whilom page of Count de L'Aville, was not among them. Passing down the great vault in which Pierre and the rest were confined, the friar found him playing an after-dinner game with two or three Prentice lads. The moment he caught sight of Father Antoine, he ran to his side and reverently kissed his beads. "'Why?' smiled the priest. You are an entirely different child. I scarcely recognize you, my son. You look quite gay. My father, I am very happy, said the boy gently. Never again will I run away from the good God. Then, my child, you need fear nothing. Strengthen that resolution as much as ever you can. But the lad's look of gladness was so marked that the friar began to wonder if the governor had already told the young prisoner of his possible release. Are you thinking of tomorrow, Pierre, and of the King of Alms? The lad laughed gaily as he answered, "'Oh, no, my father, for me there is not the least chance. If a boy is set free it is generally the youngest, unless he is very bad, and there are seven, eight, yes, I think nine, who are younger than I am.' "'Yes, yes,' said the priest. "'But I do hope that poor man over there, the one who is sitting near that pillar, father, will be one of the two. His wife came to see him yesterday, and she wept so bitterly. One of their children died last week.' and another is very sick and is crying out for his father. It does seem so sad, and the man is only here for a debt.' "'Poor fellow!' exclaimed the priest. "'But you are right, my Pierre, to wish for his release. Only, alas, there are several similar cases. There is a man in bed whose only hope of recovery lies in his release.' "'I wish—oh, how I wish!' began the lad, and hesitated. "'What do you wish, my child?' "'Well, father, I do so wish I could persuade the boy who will be released "'to give his chance to one of these men. "'But of course that is too much to expect, isn't it?' "'The friar looked at the boy keenly, and without speaking. "'Well, for me it wouldn't matter, because, you see, my mother is dead, "'and my father is at the wars with the Count. "'But I know that some of these boys have fathers and mothers, "'who will be so unhappy until their sons are released. "'And would you really give your own liberty for one of these two men, my son?' The boy laughed merrily as he said, "'But, my father, of course I would. Unfortunately, I shall not have the chance. "'You would not wish me to say this to the governor, I think. "'But if there were the least chance for me, my father, I would implore you to do so,' said the boy. Monday morning came, and again the bells of the churches pealed out. A band of trumpets in the courtyard of the prison told of the arrival of Le roi de Lamont, and the excitement among the prisoners grew painfully intense.' Expecting nothing for himself, Pierre the Page stood on the fringe of the crowd of prisoners waiting for the trumpets to cease, waiting tremblingly for the proclamation of the herald of the King of Alms. A great shout arose as the first name was announced, a shout of approbation, for Jacques Saubon, the man whose dying child was calling for him, had the sympathy of many. Vociferously enough did Pierre shout with the rest. But when the applause had subsided, and the herald in his stentorian voice— called out the name of Pierre de Gascon, the bearer of that name, staggered, and fell on the stone floor in a deep swoon. When Pierre recovered consciousness, he found himself lying on a silken couch in a tapestry-hung chamber. The governor's wife was holding his hand, and the governor was bathing his temples. "'So!' exclaimed the latter as the boy opened his eyes. "'Ah, that is good. We shall soon be well again, eh? Take this, my brave one.' Pierre sipped the cordial, glancing at the man's face as he did so. The governor was certainly smiling, but neither his words nor his smile seemed to be ironical, and his manner was fatherly and kind. "'Poor little one!' cried the lady as she bent over him, and pushed the long hair back from his forehead and eyes. "'Poor little brave one! Oh, but your color is coming back quickly. You will soon be quite well. Yes, you want to ask questions, do you?' "'Your eyes are interrogatory.' "'Well, well, my child, everything is quite as you would wish it. "'The good Père Antoine told us of your generous desire. "'The poor sick prisoner is free. "'I shall call you my brave one once again. "'Ah, can you sit up? "'That is good. "'Now another sip of this fine cordial.' "'But there is no cordial in the world, like timely bestowed praise, "'and Pierre was already beginning to feel strong and glad. "'Yes, the two men are released,' said the governor an hour later when Pierre declared that now he felt quite well and able to walk. My lady had apparently left the room. "'And you, my poor child, remain a prisoner,' the man went on. "'Ah, that is sad. But, monsieur, it would have been sadder for him.' "'You think so?' "'Well, well, that is as it may be. And you feel now that you are quite ready to go back to prison?' "'Quite ready, my lord,' said Pierre, jumping up from his seat. The governor suddenly turned away his head." His eyes had fallen on the boy's hose, much worn about the ankles, and showing unmistakably where the friction of fetter rings had frayed them. "'How long have you to remain in confinement?' asked the man, still looking away from Pierre. "'Not quite nine months, my lord.' Nine months?' ejaculated the governor. Under his breath he muttered, "'Mon Dieu, to a youngster nine months is a lifetime.' Then something happened so suddenly and so quickly that for a moment it took away Pierre's breath for almost before he realized that Madame had entered, the governor's wife rushed across the salon, threw her arms about the astounded boy, and folded him to her breast. "'My poor little brave one,' she cried, "'this naughty governor is teasing you. "'The good Père Antoine has just arrived with your pardon from the king himself. "'You are my prisoner now. "'I have put you deep down in the dungeons of my heart. "'Are you content to remain there, my brave child?' "'But, Madame,' Pierre's speech was broken by a sob, nay nay said the governor taking the boy's hand call her mother the good god has at length sent us a son ha ah, ah. ha here is pere antoine come in my father and give us your blessing not only did pierre de Gascon become the adopted son of the governor and his wife but after years he succeeded to his foster-father's important and honourable office known to his generation as the pitiful governor he was ennobled by the king and led a long life of usefulness and piety a life filled with works of mercy and charity but always his watchword was never run away from the good god no matter how great a criminal he had to deal with or how utterly hopeless might seem to be the case of some poor prisoner committed to his care governor de Gascon gave himself no rest until he had persuaded young and old alike to seek again and again the sacrament of reconciliation and the sacrament of love Note. In some cities two prisoners were always released at Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost. End of section four.